0: Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us.
1: I am Amber Kenyon. I'm with Gateway Research Organization. We're a nonprofit association based out of Westlock, Alberta. We're going to be running these networking nights with Greener Pastures Ranching every second Wednesday throughout the winter. So tonight we are, I don't know, I think this is going to be super cool. We have both David Irvine and Dylan Biggs joining us. Kim Cornish is actually coming to us from Mexico tonight, and she's going to talk a little bit about food, water, wellness and about how tonight's session kind of came into place because she contacted me a little while ago and asked me if we could do this. And yeah, it's going to be really exciting. So Kim, if you want to go ahead.
2: Thanks, Amber. So this
1: podcast is part of a
2: project called Bridging the Echo Chambers that is a public agricultural literacy project funded through the cap program and we were trying to do public agricultural literacy in a in a different way and it was supposed to be the idea was to really hone in and focus on empowering producers to speak to the public in a way that was non-confrontational and was actually like could you could listen to concerns and there wasn't this kind of where we sometimes see egg Communication. There's very much like, here's all our facts and we're pushing them at you. And we don't really want to hear what you have to say about that. We finished a relatively extensive literature review. It was supposed to be on cattle's impact on the landscape and the environmental impacts of cattle, which as everyone on this call knows is contentious. And so once we finished the literature review, we, we didn't, we definitely found we didn't have a whole bunch of facts. And so it became much more about how we're going to communicate and how we can actually engage in conversation as opposed to what we're going to communicate. And Dave has been with us throughout the project. And uh, as we were looking at the Andrea Strobesawa also has been involved at the advisory committee level. We started looking at like how the skills for communication when you're talking to people where you have a difference of opinion with them is not as radically different as low stress cattle handling, if you could, and they're, they're very applicable backwards and forwards. So that's kind of how we've come to this low stress people handling. And we think that through discussing low stress cattle handling, and then also thinking about how to integrate that and, and do that when we're talking to people, when people have differences of opinions and there seems to be a, Awful lots of differences of opinions these days. Um, so we think it's quite timely,
1: but that's the background on the project. Awesome. Thanks, Kim. Steve, if you want to introduce Greener Posterous Ranching as part of this and then introduce our speakers.
0: I can do that. My name is Steve Kenyon. Uh, we kind of came up with this idea of Wednesday night networking last year during COVID just to get out there and do some networking. And because of all the conferences that were canceled, we couldn't. And that's most of my education over the last 20 years is in the networking of these. So Greener Pastures and the Gateway Research Organization have kind of been sponsoring this for the last couple of years. And um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Um, Greener Pastures is a just a local farm ranch that we've developed some educational sides to it. So we do some consulting and seminars and schools and things like that. So, uh, yeah, we're just happy to be here. And I'm really excited about our speakers tonight, uh, Dylan Biggs and David Irvine. Dylan, we've known each other for quite a number of years. I've attended quite a few of your classes in schools and learned a lot over the years, so I'm really excited to have you here. And David, when I first got into this, going to conferences and stuff, you were one of the big speakers back then, and I, I learned a lot from you as well. Um, I remember reading your book and, and getting some very valuable information out of it, so uh, I'll probably talk about that a little bit later on in the evening, but I'm just so happy to have both of you guys here with us tonight. I'm really, really happy to have you. So I'm going to let you guys kind of introduce yourselves a little bit and then maybe introduce the topic and we'll try and get the night started that way. So Dylan, you want to take the reins here? Very good, Steve.
3: Thank you for um, hosting this. And I, uh, I've been out of touch with what you guys are active with and this looks like you're doing a great job. So. Uh, congratulations on that um, I'd like to first also thank Kimberly for um, participating in a number of things that she does with food water wellness but for uh, involving me in uh, that project and uh, and then organizing all the things she has on my behalf so that's been great and then I would like to thank David also David had a very big impact on my life in terms of my relationship with my dad uh, back in the late 80s, it would have been. And so I really want to acknowledge David for the very um, influential work that he does. In terms of my background and my specialty being in in the cattle handling sphere, it is interesting the number of crossovers, that one starts to realize there is when it comes to communicating with animals and also whether it's dogs, horses, cattle, or people. The general approaches and principles end up being all very similar. Like many of you, I'm sure, who grew up on a family ranch or a family farm, my initial experience as a kid was helping my parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, And it was a very common experience that a lot of those jobs turned into some frustrating exercises quite often, especially when I was helping my parents in the corral as a kid. It was it was very common experience for my dad to get frustrated for him to lose his temper and for him to yell at uh, cattle and yell at people. There was a lot of situations where. It wasn't unheard of for mom to leave the corral in tears and go back to the house. Wasn't uncommon for the dog to go back to the house. And even sometimes when we were younger, the kids went back to the house, you know, and that reminds me of a story. I did a clinic at Ebenezer, Saskatchewan, probably 18 or 19 years ago. And one of the fellows that hosted the fellow that hosted it, he was a retired Calgary city police officer. And I had gone around in the introductions and just asked people sort of introduce their operation and why it is they wanted to participate in this clinic. And he said, the reason I want to participate is because I need to learn more because uh, none of my help will help me anymore. None of my kids, none of my family, even none of my neighbors. So I got to learn to do all this by myself you know having done livestock handling clinics having been blessed with being introduced to ray hunt who was the first sort of natural horsemanship guy in the mid 80s and then being introduced to bud williams uh, in 1989 having had bud williams to the ranch it's really common experience that not only can cattle handling be stressful for cattle but it can also be stressful for people and it can also be stressful on uh, human relationships. And um, so without going into much further detail, um, I've spent 25 years or 26 years now doing uh, clinics out across the industry and communicating some of these ideas. So I look forward tonight to having an interactive crowd that has questions and wants to uh, learn some things. Thank you again for this opportunity, Stephen Amber.
4: All right. Thank you, Dylan. I'll just jump right in here. I assume you didn't want to say anything more before I speak here, Steve. So, folks, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, privilege. And my, my gratitude back to Dylan and Kim and and the impact, Dylan, you've had on my life. And the way you think of, uh, you know, being so connected to the land and, and the cattle and and how much it's impacted my life goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. So, folks, my background, I grew up on a horse ranch in central Alberta, here in Western Canada. And I love the smell of cows, and I love agriculture. It was in my blood to love animals, to love nature, and to be a part of nature. What I did was I went and uh, got an education in uh, child development. And then I went and got a graduate degree in social work with an emphasis in family therapy. And I was a family therapist for 10 years back in the 80s. And it was very interesting when you're a family therapist, nobody ever brings in their good kids. So all I saw were people in pain and people who were suffering. And what ended up happening was that I'd start to get calls from lawyers and tax accountants who were sitting across the kitchen table in a farm family or a ranching family and they're saying, you know what? We got hired as a lawyer. We got hired as a tax account, but they don't need a lawyer and a tax account. They need a counselor because they're not talking to each other. Would you come out and work with them? So I spent probably, I'm going to say two thirds of my work when I was a full-time family therapist was just traveling around Southern Alberta, working with intergenerational family businesses in agriculture, having generations talk to each other kids siblings parents talking to each other deciding what their goals are but i grew up in a I grew up in an age where all you had to do was work hard and you could succeed in agriculture but those days are gone now you got to actually talk to each other and it's interesting i'd see sitting around a room talking to each other and inevitably usually the father or a brother would say when are we going to get to work And I'm going to suggest, because we think that the only work is pounding in fence posts and rounding up cattle. But getting along and planning together and setting goals together and communicating with each other will be probably the hardest work you'll ever do. And we don't get a lot of training in it. Uh, My mother's father was a farmer in the 1930s. Story goes, he took a chain in a fit of rage and killed a horse. And there was no accountability in those days. That was just old Bill on one of his rampages again. This is the history of agriculture, is that we, are, we know more about our cows than we know about our kids. We are not trained at how to deal with this thing called anxiety, stress, hurt, suffering. You know, we say in the trauma literature, violence is what happens when you don't know what to do with your suffering so what are we doing with our primary feelings underneath the angst what you'll learn here is that i'll get ahead of myself but anger first of all let me backtrack let me just say the hardest thing for me is talk for five minutes give me a day and i'm good but five minutes man i don't know what to say in five minutes so let me just say this i work today in the corporate world. And what we do is that we work at creating what we call psychological safety. How do we create an environment where people feel safe? Because if you're in a high stress environment, and you're at what we call activated, and you're in a stress response, you cannot be productive. Think of a creative problem that you're thinking about, right? Think of a creative problem right now that's going to take collaboration and trust and creativity. And then have a knock at the door and somebody comes with a shotgun, puts a shotgun to you. You know, the six foot ten dude in a back lava with a shotgun. And then think about the problem that you're solving. It's not going to happen. Why? Because you don't feel safe. Because you've gone into a stress response. Now, what Dylan talks about is you if, if your cows are in a stress response, you can't get them to do what you want them to do. You can't build a community when people don't feel safe. Well, the same thing is true with people. How do we create a safe place for those who help us with our cattle feel safe around us? And I'm going to tell you, there's a direct correlation, direct relationship between how safe your cattle feel when you're working with them and how safe your kids feel or your spouse feels or your parents feel when they're working with you. It's all interconnected, and this is my whole foundation. Now, I trained from a world-renowned family therapist who introduced family therapy to the world back in the 1950s. A woman named Virginia Satir, and basically, what Virginia taught back in the 50s: if you had a problem kid, you brought your kid into the therapist's office, and it was fix the kid project. The kids having difficulty with a with behavior, some kind of behavior problem. And they so you send them to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist spends time fixing the kids. And what Virginia introduced to the whole planet is, is to begin to look holistically at the family and say, why is the problem there to begin with? What's the relationship between the child and the parents and the parents and the child? And began to have me think of this holistically. And so when I met Alan Savory back in the 80s, and I took a course from Alan Savory, and what I learned in one of those conferences, I heard a guy named Bill McKay stand up. He was a rancher from Montana. He talked about having napweed on his ranch. And before you go and annihilate the napweed, important question, why is it there? And get to the root cause of why it's there. And it's a holistic way of- of thinking and begin to understand why behavior is there. And people all mean have a positive intent. But if we don't have the skills at deactivating ourselves and making it safe to live with ourselves, we'll, we'll begin to make it, will permeate tension around us. So when you're creating tension with your cattle, first question is, how at peace do you feel with yourself? Don't even go into a paddock without asking yourself this question. How stressed am I today? Maybe you didn't sleep well last night. Maybe you had an, uh, an argument with one of your kids before they left for school. And you're gonna take it out on the cows if you don't stop and ask yourself that question. Make sure before you interact, you're in a calm place. By the way, this is before you have dinner, before you start to interact with your family, ask yourself this question. How much at peace am I am with myself? And then we're going to talk tonight, if you have some interest in this, I'll talk to you about a process from going from tension. Maybe you're stressed. Nothing wrong with that. We all get stressed. It's not bad to get stressed, but just don't handle cattle when you're stressed. Don't deal with your spouse when you're stressed. Deal with your stress first, then deal with the situation and the problem ahead of you. So anyway, that's my my contribution tonight. I am so excited to come and and, uh, answer some questions and let's just have a good open to heart, heart to heart dialogue about stuff that frankly, folks, is not easy to talk about, but we're all in this together. The one thing we all have in common tonight, you know what it is? We all got a belly button. We've all come to this place through a birth process in some way. Couldn't make it. We're all human. And so what that means is we're all going to do this imperfectly. But what my goal is tonight is to have you think about this in a different way to think about this and to reflect on this with a little bit more compassion and a little bit newer perspective anyway i'm done for now
1: you guys are both terrific and i I really when kim first brought up this topic i was super excited because to me even we had temple grandin on on december 22nd and she was amazing the whole time she's talking about animal handling i'm like yeah, well, that's exactly what you have to do with people. Oh, that you have to do with people too. That you have to do with people too. And so I really just saw the correlation. And then when Kim brought this up, I'm like, yes, this is good. Um, Our first question actually comes from Steve.
0: Yeah. uh, Just listening to that, I'm excited about this. I mean, there's lots of situations where you're dealing with both, right? The stress of the animals and the stress of the people. Popped into my mind is on cattle drives right? I'll usually get a few helpers over to do cattle drives. And we sit down and right right at the beginning, I kind of have a meeting with everybody saying, okay, we're going to keep this nice and low stress. I want to keep the cows quiet and, you know, keep things going. And then I will, I made a joke in the chat there. Then I will also say that, you know what, if something goes wrong, right, I'm not yelling at you. I'm, you know, I'm giving you instructions in a volume above the current calamity that uh, needs to be, you know, carried out, you know, immediately. <laughs> so don't be offended if, you know, if something's going wrong and I say, go over there I, like, it just has to be done. So we get that all out. We kind of joke about it in, in advance so that if anything ever does go wrong, everybody's like on the same page and we're, but we're trying to keep things nice and slow all the time. So I guess my question for you, um, for both of you, I guess, probably David, David first, one of the biggest things that I learned uh, coming into this industry is understanding the personality style differences in the people, right? There's lots of different tests that we use. I'm not sure which ones you use, but boy, that was a, a an eye opener for me. Uh, understanding that some people don't, you know, they don't hear me the way I'm speaking or the way I think I'm speaking because uh, we, we speak four different languages is what I've, uh, you know, kind of learned over the years. So could you kind of explain a little bit maybe about the, the personality styles that we're dealing with? Cause to, to a lot of people, that's kind of foreign, and uh, I'd love to hear your version of that.
4: Well, there's many people that are more expert in the personality styles than I am, but because I, I focus more on what people have in common than what we have in difference. However, it is good to know when we're different. So there's a couple of ways that we are different. Number one is some of us are introverted and some of us are extroverted. So some of us deal with the world by thinking first and by reflecting and we get our energy by being alone. And some people like to deal with the world by talking. And they process things by, and they think things through by talking. And so that can be a conflict for people if we don't understand that we have differences that way. Some people are oriented toward feelings. And some people are oriented toward thinking. So we think our way through. And then that the very thing that comes, that brings us together in a relationship Uh, which is what we're here. You know, it's an interesting thing about marriage because we marry somebody and then we spend the rest of our life. We marry somebody that's the opposite to us. And then we spend the rest of our life trying to change them and trying to make them more like us. It's a strange phenomenon. We see this all the time, but what we need to do is to recognize that all these different personalities have a strength to them. So what we need to see is if we were all the same, gosh, we wouldn't need each other. So what we need to realize is if, if one person deals with things emotionally What they can do is expand that a little bit. Nothing wrong with with emotions, but maybe they can be a little bit more thinking. And some people could expand their emotions, uh, their thinking, by being a little bit more emotional. This is how we grow and help each other. So the basic bottom line is if we have differences, recognize those differences and ask each other, how can we help each other grow? That's just a couple of examples around uh, uh, some people are very intuitive and some people are very rational. So these are some of the ways that we get differences. So main thing is to learn from each other and be open to learn and recognize that conflict in a constructive way is can be very creative and can move you to a whole new place if it's if it's constructive. And we'll talk about that later. Dylan, anything you want to add to that?
3: Well, that's interesting, of course, because, you know, with your animals, what you ideally and it's not a. It's not the same as a human relationship, but in a lot of ways, it is from the standpoint of you need to develop at least an effective working relationship with your livestock, with your dogs, with your horses. If you're going to get animals sort of go along with your ideas, right, is, is you're going to have to develop a working relationship and that working relationship I found is best when it's um built on a foundation of a balance between trust and respect. But it's interesting now that you talk about some people being more rational and some people being more intuitive because I I truly, my my dad was from the East Coast. He was an MIT graduate in uh, metallurgical engineering. He was an exceptionally rational man. And he had, for his entire life, even though he supported my change and my approach, and he supported the idea of handling cattle differently, he could never get to the point where he was intuitive or ever had a feel for livestock. He just never developed a feel. If you can't develop a feel for the stock, you know, and and it's an intuitive thing to a large extent. If you can't read the stock and allow Uh, yourself to perceive whether they're getting agitated, whether they're calm, whether they're quiet, and adjust accordingly with your position and your pressure. You're never going to develop an effective working relationship that ends up being a win-win for the the stock and or the people. Um, Now, you can't be totally intuitive, but you have to have some. My dad was completely rational and he could just never figure out why these cows wouldn't do what it was. He knew that they should be doing what he wanted them to do and was so bloody obvious. And of course, human instinct is such that when animals don't understand what we want, i.e. they won't do what we want, of course, it's very easy to blame them, right? Who hasn't sworn at a cow before? Who hasn't cussed a horse out? Who hasn't cussed a cow out? Who hasn't cussed something out? You know, and, um, and it's not that those thoughts don't run through my mind <laughs> yet. Yeah, you know, you get my dad, he was the best at coming up with colorful language to describe that black hearted pot licking fence crawling, you know, spawn of Satan cow that, apparently had been put on earth just to make his life difficult and 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 a part of that that interpretation was is because he he could never figure out that maybe he had something to do with it maybe his approach and and we all have that in us we all have that in us what are the what's the cow gonna do when, when, when you blame her, she's not gonna do anything. She's just a cow. So at any rate, it's interesting that you talk about that. Now, with regards to Steve's question in terms of personalities, this is a fact. Every cow is different. Every horse is different. Every dog is different. Every spouse, every kid in the corral, everyone's different. What you need to do is you need to learn to read those differences and respond accordingly. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to be an effective leader. You're not going to be a functional leader. Developing a functional working relationship with livestock requires functional leadership. And that requires a sensitivity and intuitiveness that allows you to adapt to the individual and and respond accordingly in a way that makes things work. That's our job. You know, but he he always had this saying, it's our idea. It wasn't the cow's idea. None of these ideas of the cows this. We're, we're the ones in charge. We're the ones that have the plan. You can't blame them. I'll leave it at that.
1: I think that's hilarious, Dylan. And it made me laugh because as as you were talking about getting angry at cows, I was just like picturing sometimes myself, sometimes other people as they're driving in traffic, because it's exactly the same thing. You're like, why are you coming in my lane? You don't belong here, right? We we do the exact same thing with people in traffic. (laughs) We have Blue set up next. Blue set, you want to go ahead?
5: Yeah, well, we touched on it a little bit,
1: but I'd I'd like to go
5: in a little bit further and it's about people and cattle and their psychological safety environment and what that entails. And so I would surmise that if I have a a herd of cattle and um, I create and handle them in the same way that I could form their psychological safety in a way, if they get used to my handling style, albeit, you know, that it's conducive to good cattle handling practices, that they would become accustomed to that. And I'm sort of wondering if that sort of translates into people, is there an environment or a people handling skill where you can create a common psychological safety environment for them um, based on certain practices? And I I know we're kind of getting into some, some muddied water here, but if we can hone in on how to manage that environment and create safety. I think such great conversation and communication can happen, but I'd like to, I'd like to know how to do that. Anybody want to take a stab?
4: I'll jump in here. Blue said it's good to see you. Thank you for being on the call tonight. So let me just very quickly give you a two minute teaching on stress, the stress response. We are by default, in a relaxed state. The human body is designed that when we're under, when we're stressed, when we have something to be afraid of, we go we're what we call go into a sympathetic stress response. And our, our brain goes into a different part and it's a survival mode. It's the amygdala. That's a survival mode. And it, it's, it gets activated and there's all kinds of symptoms, but basically you go into what we call an F state, which is freeze fight flight, or freak out. So that's the F state. And it's a natural biological state. Now, we have to have a process to take ourselves out of that state. That's why it's very critical before we handle cattle to ask yourself if you're in an F state or in the middle. And oftentimes, if we get into a cattle situation where we can't control it and we can't manage it and they don't do what we want them to do, And we start blaming them. Cows will create a trigger that will put us into this F state. Now, the C state is calm, cool, collected. And it's very important when you get into an F state to stop and recognize I am in the F state. I just got triggered right now. I will promise you, I know you, Blue said, and there's no way that you would build safety, psychological safety, with your cattle in the F state. It doesn't happen. You walk into that, that ring, that paddock in an F state, and all it'll do is permeate the F state because F states are contagious. You walk into an F state, you'll get into an F state. And so you got to step back and say, recognize it, accept it. It's there, investigate it. And then you got to let it go so that, okay, I'm going to set that aside. I cannot operate in the F state and your, your brain will override your rationale. And so if you're not careful, you you won't even be thinking. You just start yelling. Now you're in an F state, and it's not going to end well. It never ends well in an F state because the cows will win that war. They will just, unless you beat them to death, unless you can catch them, they'll win that war. And then you just get escalated, and then you start to take it out on your kids or the people that are in the ring with you. So just pay attention. And notice when you're there, because what you want to do is to get yourself down into that that sea state. We can talk more about strategies to how to do that. Dylan, what's your take on that?
3: There's a couple points. Thank you, David. Thank you, Bluesette. Nice to see you again. There's a couple points. I mean, the one the one question um, or the one comment that Bluesette made in getting to her question was was about cattle uh, becoming a custom uh, to your style. But I think it's a bit deeper than that. It's not because if, if if your style or your approach, and you did preface it by saying, assuming that your cattle handling approach was uh, proper, uh, that's not the exact word to use, but was well, was congruent. The thing about it is, is that it goes back to the personality difference. There are going to be some cattle that are a lot more sensitive than others by virtue of genetics, right? And so it's it's extremely important that you understand that some cattle may not get accustomed to your style necessarily. And really, it's not a matter of getting accustomed more than it is the fact of developing, like you said, a safe space for your cattle so that they are going to remain Calm and quiet and not triggered, not in the fight or flight mode as a result of you working them. Now, sometimes the amount of pressure or stress that you think you're putting on uh, critters may not have anything to do with the way they experience it. And so that's something to think about, too. So there is a a function of time. So from the standpoint of your your use of the word accustomed to, there is a function of time and sometimes it's going to take time, especially for the very sensitive cattle or cattle that come to your place that have already been mishandled. And as soon as they're around people, regardless of what you're doing, just the fact that you're there from their past cattle handling experiences is, is going to make them freak out. Boom, right there, just seeing you. I mean, uh, and so it's very interesting what David says about um the calm, calmness being the natural state. And it's interesting if if you took a hot air balloon over a herd of cattle and they weren't being bothered by predators and or by people, cattle are very content just to calm strolly to the water, calm back and forth to grazing if you inadvertently leave a gate open, how calmly do they and quickly do they find the open gate and get out it, right? And so why, the question becomes, why will that same gate, when these cattle are calm and left to their own devices, become, some, become something, uh, you know, that's very easy for them to find naturally in their calm state? Why does that become difficult for them to find it All of a sudden, when you add people to the mix. And so, this is critical also uh, as a livestock handler is that any livestock, horse people, dog people, to me, that I've seen that are highly effective with their ability to lead, they're all have a very calm and confident demeanor. And so, I never used to be that way um, because I was. I was traumatized when I was 18, 19 years old, uh, a good hour, hour and a half before I was going to step into the corral with my dad to work cattle. My stomach would be in such a tight knot that uh, I could hardly breathe because I knew this was going to be ugly. This was going to be ugly. And so uh, one of the uh, skills as a livestock handler, whether it's with horses, dogs or cattle, is for you to be extremely aware of your own state. If you're not aware of your own state, then that's very difficult. If you are aware of your state and you feel yourself starting to get anxious, then it's important that you stop, you breathe, you relax. And even if you are feeling anxious and frustrated, not to express that and take it out on the cows, but just to acknowledge it and let it go. Because in reality, how many times has anything positive or beneficial come in terms of completing a job, in terms of having the cattle finish with the job or getting the job done or even next week, maybe doing it again, but how many times has something positive or beneficial or the job be made easier by virtue of people losing their temper. Never.
1: I agree completely. <laughs> and that goes again for people and cattle. Larry is up next and it's so good to see you, Larry.
6: Uh, hi, Amber. I didn't get a link. So Tom shared with me, if that's okay. Uh, I'll talk about it later, but it's like I had to be 60 years old before I realized that I couldn't win an argument. I don't argue, I told my wife, you know, you're right, that's it, I won one, never have, never will. But, and y'all have answered my question probably in the last few minutes, had to be of age to realize you had to be calm. I can actually reduce my blood pressure when I go to the doctor by calming my spirit, but it's hard to do when you get in the crowd, the cows are going a little bang, bang, and you got that one high headed one that you wish you didn't have. And I have, to, I have to ask y'all, but I have to just make myself calm down. Just look away from them, let them know it gets the crowd and just chill out, but uh, you have to do the best you can because that one high-headed one is going to run the whole herd and, until you get it to go to freezer camp, and then that helps everybody, including me. But y'all answered several of my questions the previous guy. This is great. Thank you. If you got any tips about the high-headed
3: cows? Let me know.: I do. May I address that question? You know, it, it, it's interesting, and I, I'm not here to present any magic. I'm not here to present any cure all. I'm not here to tell you that if you do everything exactly right, all your problems will disappear. But what I am here to tell you is that quite often that high headed cow in the corral is a symptom, a very high percentage of the time is a symptom of what went on in the pasture, is a symptom of maybe what went on in previous handling experiences uh, that she had, whether it was from the time she was a calf, whether it was from the time she was a bred heifer, or in fact it may just be the fact that she extremely sensitive as a cow. Now, the thing to do, and I could spend an hour addressing this question. I could spend probably two hours easily addressing this question. But the one thing that I will say is over the years, what has become very apparent to me and useful to me is if that high-headed cow actually is perceived as a barometer, as an indicator as a uh, forewarning. When her head is up, any cattle, when their head is up, they're telling you they're experiencing too much pressure. If this is in a corral, sometimes, and, and I'll, but we'll just go into one little example. We do get, you know, we typically have anywhere from 800 to 1,000 head of cattle here on the ranch. We. I'll quite often bring in outside cattle from cooperator herds for our meat program. We have a meat program, we direct market all our our ranch production and, and some purchase cattle through our own branded beef program, uh TKRanch.com. That's our meat label, TK Ranch. But at any rate, so we bring outside cattle in. And invariably, a lot of those cattle are extremely nervous. And um, just to give you one idea. So, a lot of times we think about the construction of a corral when these cattle are dropped off into the corral, we're going to weigh them. Um, we're going to do some sorting. We're going to do some work in the corral. And the cattle come off the liner, the heads are up, they're upset, they're on the run. It's interesting with the way we design and with the way we think about control, typically in facilities, is, and I've seen this from having traveled. 25 years all across Canada, down into the States, many different feedlots, ranches, farms, you name it. And the way we design facilities is the smaller the alleys are, the smaller the pens are, 12 foot alleys, maybe 16 foot alleys are pretty wide alleys. You know, my alleys, my sorting alley, uh, is 24 feet wide people will say wow well, you can't control cattle in an alley that wide because the thing is is when these cattle are in really close proximity and they can't get far enough away from you to for you to feel safe it's really hard for you to back up and give them room but with these cattle i don't like to sort them in an alley if they're saying that 24 feet isn't wide enough that the only way they can feel comfortable going by me is with their head up and at 90 miles an hour. So I'll go into a big square open pen. That'll allow me to have more space, allow them to have more space, allow me with one or two steps from 75 or 80 feet to get the kind of movement that I want to ask critters to come by me and for them to have 40 or 50 feet to come by me. And believe it or not, that space, giving them space, taking the pressure off by removing my proximity is actually going to let them calm down. And you'll see those cattle, their head will start to come down. And so one of the things that we need to do is read that body language. And if there is an opportunity to adjust, We need to adjust if we can't. And I know in your comments, it's it's they can be very annoying because, like you said, they can upset everybody. But if you think about them as a as a barometer or a thermostat for how much pressure can they take, how much pressure can this herd take? Because a lot of times it'll be just one animal that puts its head up when you're bringing them in from the field, and uh, you start to. Get closer to where you want or where you're going to get through that gate and into without even thinking, you know, just human impulse. We start pushing a bit harder and then all of a sudden the cow puts her head up and it's it's really important that we start to recognize that, learn that, learn that our best approach when she starts getting nervous is to back up, give her more space, take some pressure off. Let her know that you're someone that's trustworthy. I'll end that. Hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that was some food for thought.
6: Thank you very much. It's like the old saying says, you can please part of the people part of the time, but not all the people all the time. Same goes with the cattle too. But uh, thank goodness my high-headed cow's gone. Thank you very much.
1: You better not be talking about your wife like that, Larry.
6: No, No. never argue, remember? I never won
4: one yet. (laughs)
1: david did you have any comments sir
4: no i just want to say i love hearing dylan's explanation on things because you could just exactly when he talks about how you are with cows i can just exactly say how you are with people and you know that intuitive sense no it, it just parallels beautifully that's why i love working with dylan
1: that's awesome uh next up we have graham gilchrist Graham always brings us the hard questions, so we'll see if he does that again today.
7: Well, first off, David, hello again. Long time no, no see your face, and good to see you. Good um, to see you, Dylan and David. My comments come you know, from my experience as, as a patrol old patroller and EMR. You trained in the F state, so your muscle memory and your your brain fog went away while you're trained. So when you actually were in a stressful situation. You know, you, you, you didn't panic and you didn't automatically go to the 4S as you t- call it. And then as I, you know, went through my career, you end up with BAM School of Management 1 and BAM School of Management 2, where you, you literally you did the same thing. You trained in a stressful state how to deal with people, how to manage, get the jobs done and, you know, move, I suppose, in and out somebody's flight zone to get your team to move forward. So my question, as I'm listening to you, is I know it's easy to talk about a cow. But ultimately the question becomes whether or not you're the right person in the corral. If you can't train or aren't training in that situation, why are you there in the first place is as the event go?
3: So uh, if I understand your question, you you're you're saying, how do you know you're the right person in the corral? Is that correct?
7: Particularly if you're not training. If you're not, you know, if you're only handling cows once a year, oh, whether okay. it's branding or and you're you're part of the you're part of the environment, and if you haven't trained or you don't recognize that state and you and you've talked about you go into the four fs and I'll, as a result you're the stress seducer. Why are you there in the first place
3: <laughs> yeah i I mean I guess if you're the owner of the livestock, you're just trying to get a job done, and that's the reality is that people are just trying to get the job done. In terms of training, there's two things that can go on is that is that and, and this is one interesting comment. And, and I hope I'm answering your question. Um, I'll give you an opportunity after I, I address the training idea in just a minute. But David made a comment that um, with regards to people and, and communication amongst families or amongst spouses, that, you know, there's a real minimal supply of training that has ever gone on that teaches us how to deal with people I mean I don't know until I David speak or Don Green speak or no actually well yeah and I went to years ago I went to a thing called the uh, Earhart standard training and so there's there's a real lack of that for people and as anyone who's spent their life in the livestock world, you know, it's an exceptionally traditional industry and herding livestock is an exceptionally traditional thing. Um, Archeologists say that people have been herding livestock for eight millennia. The thing that they started to do after hunting and gathering was uh, herding. That was the next thing. There's nothing much more traditional you know, think about it. The next time you're out in your field and you're herding sheep or you're herding cattle, think about that you're doing something that people have been doing for 8,000 years. I would challenge you, Dylan, and the fact that if you're out there and
7: you haven't trained and you haven't had a community around you to show you how to do it, it's not genetic. It doesn't come through your, your M line or your father line. It's, exactly. it's brand new to you. So bear with you me know, just one second. Unless you've had a good mentor.
3: Bear with me just one second, because I was going to get to that point. Is that on one hand, it's exceptionally traditional. But on the other hand, how many of us actually had any quote unquote training? And how much has the environment changed where what probably should have been something we learned naturally growing up is that for whatever reason in this modern age, it is something that if you just look at the industry demonstrably in terms of the national beef quality audit, you look at insurance claims, you look at dark cutters, you look at bruising, you look at lowered gains, you look at uh, suppressed immune systems, you look at uh, the number of cattle condemned on an annual basis in the United States because of too heavy a load of buckshot. You look at injuries uh, to people, you look at deaths to people on and on and on it goes, we, we have a lot of room for improvement. And, and where is the training? That's a very good question. It, it's it's sort of non-existent. Now, as regards the cattle, this is also the case, is that, you know, how many of us would go get on a young green horse that has never been rid, ridden, never been ridden, and assume that we can get on them and ride them and go get something done? None of us, unless you're complete idiots. But how many of us will go out to a fresh group of yearling steers and assume that we're going to be able to move them from point A to point B without any quote unquote, and I hate the word because, well, I don't have time to train my goddamn cattle. Who the hell has time for that? But we don't think about the fact that we actually need to train the cattle a bit too. And the reality is is that anytime we handle them, we're training them. But usually we're training them to trust us less and, uh, and be more afraid of us. Typically, that's the way we go about it. Now, not everybody. And I'm not saying, but we don't think about a progressive process for getting cattle set up so that we can start them, they can stay calm and quiet, we can turn them left and right, we can speed them up, we can slow them down and we can stop them, and we can have all that control of herd dynamics with them still calm and quiet. We don't, that's my piece on that.
1: David's just sitting there nodding his head, it's great.
4: (laughs) Yeah, Dylan's saying it all. Just look at the cost of our world, when the F state has now become the default state. Look at what it does when we, and by the way, you can tell this when you just drive down the road, how are we in traffic? How impatient are we today? How are we in anybody that is in customer service? It's, it's awful. And it's taken a toll on us physically. It's taken a toll on us mentally. If we don't, if we don't know how, to get ourselves out of that F state. And I agree with Dylan. I think intuitively children know how to do this, but we unlearn how to do this or we learn how not to do it. We learn how to stay in that F state because that's what happens our, where brain gets patterned this way in our, the, in our very formative years. And we have to really make a decision. I'm going to live differently. I want the C state to be my default state. That's the way the human condition is meant to be. And we have drifted from that in this crazy modern day world of ours. And I don't know that we can blame technology or modern world. I, I think, you know, how, I think we've just evolved to a point where we have an opportunity to really change this pattern. I have had to consciously change the pattern intentionally. I've spent the last 25 years reversing the pattern of addiction and abuse and trauma in my own home, in my mother's, in my mother's parents' home that have gone on for generations. And I've said, no more, my kids will live in a psychologically safe environment. And I will work with this every single day, but I'll tell you, it's not, I have had to come through it for my own with, from my own suffering, because I've had so much trauma in my upbringing. I said, you know what? I'm not going to live like that anymore. I've had to face depression and some mental health challenges. I had, a, I had a doctor tell me once, the key to a long and happy life, you know what it is? Get diagnosed with a chronic, life-threatening illness and have to take care of it every day of your life. I've had to take care of this from my own well-being, uh, from, you know, from my own uh, mental health challenge. I've, I've, specifically, I've had to deal with depression in my life. So I've had to deal with because I went from the depressive side where I internalized the trauma and then I'd externalize it. And I had to get, you know, I've had to really work hard to get
3: free of it. And, and I don't want to trivialize the challenge involved in dealing with livestock. But that, that's not my intent is to trivialize it. You know, it's not an easy job. Anybody who thinks it's an easy job has never done it. In addition to that. you know, it takes skill. In addition to that, there are always time pressures. Who of you, whether it's weaning or um, whether you're shipping on shipping day uh, and you have a truck showing up on time, you know, at this time, and you need to have the cattle in at this time and have the cattle sorted by this time. Who's never felt that pressure and that stress? Everyone, I guarantee you, feels that pressure. And, and so the thing is, is I'm not trivializing it. But what I am trying to get through to the point with regards to training is that we can set things up so that we actually have control over her and they're in the calm state. And if we're somewhat organized with our time management and give ourselves time Believe it or not, you can get all these jobs done and not feel stressed. And the cattle don't feel stressed either, or very, very little. But at any rate, that that's my comment. I don't want to trivialize it. David is right. The, the, the pressures, the financial pressures, the weather pressures, the time pressures, I know about pressure, trust me. <laughs>
1: I think you're right on Dylan. And I think, um, I like David, your way of explaining the C and F state. I've always said, uh, fight, flight, or freeze, but I really like that. And I think that when you, if you think about the way we have our conversations in day-to-day basis, we almost train ourselves to be in the F state. Because if you think about people's typical conversations, if I go to church, I'm talking to people, it's usually complaints that we're talking about honestly, we, we spend a lot of our day complaining and sometimes it's not even because we're necessarily that frustrated by it, but it's just something to talk about, right? Like we've been trained that that's something to talk about is, is just your complaints in your daily life. So I I just want to throw that in there. Um, Next up we have BJ. Are you ready to go?
8: Yeah, I guess he kind of addressed some of my question there, you know, about the time factor driving kind of our decision-making as we move forward with our herd, or even with people, time drives a lot of it. We set in our minds, I think, about where where we want to be at a certain time of day, whether it's set by a truck coming or the vet coming or whatever you got put out there for your cattle herd, or even for the people that are working with you. Um, the expectation of of the time that you're spending, or the maybe it's even tied to the dollar amount you put to to that help. But I think that. I think that's a factor that we all kind of maybe have overlooked or continue to overlook when we're when we're handling our animals or dealing with people I'm kind of two sided on that and from from a ranching aspect the cattle that we own and and maintain for other people and then and then my work also is um, throw driven into another industry of managing a hundred people a day on an average basis kind of does that time the numbers drive your your stress level i think you guys have anything you'd like to add to that i think you covered it pretty well though.
3: thank you for bringing up those points the thing about livestock and and this is said this has become sort of a dictum in the uh natural horsemanship world is that you have to take time to save time and and this is the thing about the notion of setting it up and I, I'm, I, I'm not going to use the T word because people just really have a tough time integrating that into their thought about working with cattle. But if you're prepared to take, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but just like with a horse, if you want your horse to be handy, you're going to have to go some, through some sort of process to get him handy. And wouldn't it be cool? And this is what I learned from Bud, is that there's a process you can go through with your cattle to get it so that if you spend some time getting these herd shaped up, that then when you do things, you can do it very efficiently once these cattle are shaped up to where they're handy, where this whole herd, like for me, and and I don't want to come across as as, as bragging, but On our place with our yearlings and two-year-old steers, I can easily go out by myself with two dogs or one dog and we can work 400 head of cattle. You don't need the extra help because the cattle are shaped up. They're working for you. You've taught them to drive. And so at my two-day clinics, that's what we talk about, is what is the process of getting cattle shaped up to teach them to drive. And the, the word that Bud used is taught to drive, and taught to take pressure so that they'll respond to it and not get uh, in the F state. Thank you.
4: What you're talking about there, Dylan, is a strategy, uh, a process. And it's, it starts with an intention. When you get up in the morning, it, you do want to set yourself up for success here. And one of the things that I've learned, and I learned this with with, with learning how to deal with families, but it's the same thing with your cows. If you've got a project, I've had to respect myself to say, if I've got a project that involves other people, or in your case, involves some cattle handling, give yourself some extra space of time. That's setting yourself up. I know you can't always do that, but if you have an intention in the morning, that's a strategy I've used. If I'm pressed for time, it will uh, invite me into that F state far sooner than if I have a little space to say, you know what, let's, let's just, we'll be, you know, and, and you said it there, Dylan, that, uh, you have to give time to make time. And if you create some space in your day, it'll, it'll make it much easier to be in a relaxed place when you're working. We're so darn busy today. We're just crammed up. And I used to think, uh, farmers and ranchers were immune from this stuff but we're all caught in it
0: i can add to that a little bit david what always frustrated me was our daylight is so short in the fall right or, or early winter and the time restraint is always you know you got 300 head to process and it's going to get dark <laughs> and uh, numerous nights i remember working out there with headlights you know on the on the squeeze chute and and that that is hard for i mean it's easy to say that yeah give yourself time but I um, mean, in reality, we're all we all live in the same, you know, situations and things things happen. And but we still got to try and keep things, you know, calm and slow. And uh, you just work so much faster if you can keep it calm and slow. That's for sure.
1: I actually have a question for you guys. So what are your guys' own personal tricks that you use to take yourselves from the F state to the C state?
4: Great question. Dylan, do you want to go first on that one or do you want me to share mine? Go ahead, Dave. So I use a little formula that I got from a meditation teacher. called uh, she, Her name is Tara Brock, and I use a little formula. It's called rain. We all love rain, especially, well, especially in a, if you live in a brittle environment and it's dry, you love rain. Uh, Some of us live in environments where we get too much of it. I understand like, you know, too much of anything is going to throw you off, but anyway, it's rain. So you recognize it. I'm in the F state. You got to recognize it because most of the time when I get in the F state, I don't even know I'm in the F state. People tell me I'm in the, my my wife and I, you know, we, we developed a little language that when one of my whole team, we talk this way. If you're in the F state, we can call each other on it, but we better be sure that if you get called on it, don't you know don't let it build up into no i'm not in the f state and then you start yelling at the person cuz you're not in the f state so anyway recognize it and you need to ask for help hey you're in the f state let's do it in a loving way do it but number 2 rain is a accept that you're there accept it don't judge it accept it acknowledge it number 3 is i investigate Okay, I'm going to step back for five minutes. Where'd this come from? What got triggered? Maybe I talk about it. It's better to take five minutes away from the handling to get yourself calmed down. You'll waste half an hour, if not longer, if you don't recognize it. It'll take five minutes. And then N is is what we call non-attachment or letting it go. So you just set it aside and say, you know what, maybe you can't let it go completely because you've got a job in front of you here, but you just set it aside and say, I'm not going to let it, you know, I'm not going to let it drive this thing. I'm not, you know, it's one thing to be angry. It's okay to be angry, but don't put the anger in the driver's seat. Just set it aside and then we'll get to it later. Now, underneath that anger, there's, you know, this is the investigative process. And there's primary feelings. You maybe feel out of control. A lot of us, when we feel, out, I'll, I'll speak for myself, when I feel out of control, I had so little control in my family growing up that when I feel out of control, I immediately go to anger because my way to control things, is get angry or you get irritated. And it's not a very good strategy for getting what you want, but it's a recognition. Oh, yeah, I just want control here or I'm afraid or maybe I'm embarrassed. Us guys, we get to anger real quick, but talk about embarrassment or feeling inadequate or feeling out of control. These are not vulnerable feelings that we're used to feeling. So I, this is the investigative state. The eye in the rain is to look below the anger and say, what's really going on here? And then, you know, take whoever it is that's in the pen with you. Just say, let's just take five minutes. I just got to process this or just set it aside. We'll process it after we're done. So that's my, that's my process. And you know what? Sometimes doesn't work because I still get into the F state, but at least I know what the solution is. The solution isn't to change the cows. The solution isn't to change my wife. The solution is for me to get into a calm state so that I can communicate honestly without being hurtful. Anything you'd add, Dylan?
3: Yeah, no, it's a good point. So Bud came to our place, I believe the first time in 1990, you know, he was there for three days and he totally obliterated almost everything I thought I knew about working stock. And I had worked stock all my life. My grandpa had worked stock all his life. My dad, he hadn't worked stock all his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing is, is that we not only are in habits around livestock just from a matter of the time, That we have done it and virtually everything bud taught was counterintuitive it's counterintuitive there's so much of what human impulse human nature drives in terms of our own behavior around stock that is totally unconscious and so there's so many and and unfortunately i'm not going to be able to go into a lot of that tonight but there's so much that's unconscious and so not only do you have to try and break your old habits, but then you have to try and replace them with the things that are counterintuitive, with the things that are not in accordance with your human nature and your human impulse with regards to stock. Because, you know, and and you could argue that it's ingrained in our brain because we were hunters, You know, in our evolutionary history and the way that we behave is like hunters around livestock. We like to chase. We like to circle. We like to there's so many things that we like to do. But at any rate, so in that process of integrating and actually being able to to use uh, all the, the things that I learned from Bud, I had to learn how to shut down my F state. Because when things would start to fall apart, when things would start to fall apart, just like when you're coming to a, let's say you're coming to a gate with 300 head of cattle and everything went good. But for whatever reason, just when you're at the gate, they all stop. And things, because natural impulse, the closer, one of these natural impulses is the closer we get to our destination or to our goal with cattle almost invariably, the harder we push. And we don't even know. We don't even know that we're doing it. But the closer we get to the gate, the closer we get to the barn door, the closer we get to the crowd tub, the closer we get to the back of the stock trailer, by nature, we push harder. And so let's assume that we weren't even doing that. But things started to fall apart. We lose our herd movement. We start to get nervous. And then that's where you start to think, I got to step in here and I just got to back off, take the pressure off and breathe, calm down, because I guarantee you upping the ante when you're starting to get frustrated, nervous, anxious, almost never makes a job go quicker, better, or easier. And so for me, it, it, it had to be a process of, of getting in the habit of creating a new habit of just backing off, stopping, breathing, and just relaxing for a minute and say, just calm down. That's my thing with stock. Now, 20, what, I guess it's 30 years, uh, 32 years you know, I'm, I'm in the enviable position of, you know, in the last 10 years or 15 years, I, I can maybe I'd have to think hard when I was triggered working cattle because it, it just doesn't happen anymore, but I had to work on a card for five years.
4: Yeah. Okay. David, was there something you wanted to add to that? Uh, Just one thing for some for some who come from a faith background or a, I'm not going to call it a religious background, but for some that that believe in the harmony of the universe or a, some kind of an understanding of a spiritual force in your life, however you define that and however you call that, I th- think it can be helpful at this time. Where we call on that spirit, whether it's our creator, whether it's some God of our understanding, whatever that faith is, it can be very helpful to calm that down. I can just speak from my own experience with that. And I would love, you know, I wish we had some time to hear what other people have to say about some of these questions, but uh, that can be a strength for many of us.
1: I agree completely. I was thinking as, as Dylan was talking about that some of my, before I ever kind of figured out who I was and stuff, I realized that things were bothering me. That would be triggers before I ever got to that point of F state, but slowly those triggers would build up. So for me, it's like sounds and smells and, and, you know, I'm highly sensitive. So it was stuff like that. But I think a lot of us too, even our daily lives have stressors that happen that you don't really, they don't make you freak out immediately, but as they build up, eventually there's that one last thing that breaks the camel's back and you're gone at that point right
4: this is a very good point to notice when it starts to escalate sometimes it can happen very immediately but usually there's a buildup beforehand and it's a way of slowing our life down and checking when we're starting to escalate for those Mm -hmm. of us who are empaths in this call you will understand we're very sensitive this way And this is the gift that we bring. It's a gift and a curse because we're very sensitive to this. But the blessing is that we can begin to recognize when that intuitive self, that intuition is telling us it's starting to escalate. I've got to do something about it. The earlier you can catch it, the better it is. Because once it's fully blown, boy, it's hard to get that out of your brain.
3: Yeah. And that's so true with cattle, too. You know, I mean, this 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 ability to observe, like with even with a large herd, the ability to observe that the herd is getting agitated. Because that agitation in the herd almost always just starts with one animal. And if if we're paying attention, if we are actually observing all those individuals within the herd, because it's really easy to lose the forest for the trees. It's really easy just to be focusing on those cattle that are close to you. And the nervous ones are always as far as they can be away from you if they're nervous about people or they're more sensitive. They're gonna be farther away from you. And if you're paying attention to the whole herd and you're actually monitoring their state, which is your job, that's your job. If you're gonna read these cattle and respond accordingly, you can't wait till the herd is already blowing up to say, damn, by that time, you've already missed it, right? Your job is to be monitoring everyone in the herd and responding to those slight cues from possibly just one individual cow. And if you don't pay attention, you'll miss your chance. To de-escalate that.
4: I remember watching you last summer when we were working those cattle. And you said this herd's starting to get stressed. And I thought, what the heck are you talking? How do you know that? You just see that ear? There was one ear in the whole herd that went up. And that's you were that clued into that. It was amazing. That's incredible. And so true
1: next we had a question geared towards dylan if you could kind of talk a little bit about who bud williams is and what his mindset about cattle handling was because you know this guy knows a little bit not a lot
3: uh, okay certainly i can do that bud grew up on a ranch you know bud williams he i'll have to think about his his personal history a little bit but my understanding was is that he learned early on from his dad because on their farm, they actually had an abattoir and uh, bud at a young age was given the job of bringing the cattle in that are, and I don't know if it was the day of or the evening before I know with our abattoir and our ranch, it's the evening before. Um, but he was tasked with the job of bringing those animals in to be slaughtered uh, from the pasture if those cattle were upset at all his dad would send him back for different cattle because he would not slaughter cattle that uh, were upset in the process of being brought up he started working on ranches at a young age and they were typically uh, on large open range ranches on um, BLM and public land He got quite quickly a reputation for being a show off because he learned and he claimed he learned virtually all of his herding techniques from watching good dogs, but he got a, he, he would go into like for fall gathers, Bud told a ton of stories but he claimed, you know, where a couple of cowboys would go up into these mountain ranges and bring the cattle down from hell, higher elevations, you know, a couple of cowboys or one cowboy would go in and bring 50 cows down. And he he got to the point where he was bringing 500 cat head of cattle down by himself. And he got to the point where he was embarrassing the other cowboys. And and and, and it got to the point, apparently, according to him, where. um it was tough for him to find a job but then he started to get known as someone who could get troubled livestock that no one else could get and he started to get hired to go get quote unquote wild cattle and he started to get a reputation for bringing cattle out of pastures or out of mountain ranges that no one else could get out of mountain ranges and then he started getting he started getting hired to actually go and work bison, to go and work elk. And one of his early hires was being hired by uh, the Alaska Extension Agency to help herd reindeer on the tundra for the native communities up there that were annually harvesting antler to export. and. Um, they were having trouble up there because the critters would be so upset because they were using snowmobiles and helicopters and then they would um, scare these herds of reindeer up near the village and then the villagers would come out with the sort of human amoeba corral with the burlap ribbons all woven between them and and get some of them into the corral. But when the apparently when the reindeer were in the corral, they were so upset and milling so badly they were breaking legs and busting antlers and it was just a disaster and they heard that bud could help them with this they dropped him off out in the middle of the wide open tundra to round up 1200 reindeer by himself on foot he had to bring them over or along a frozen river he said he spent five hours that first bunch and this is, this is the thing you have to understand when you're training. The, and these were essentially wild reindeer, only ever worked once a year and not worked properly. But he spent five hours just getting the herd moving. Proper herd movement, keeping them calm. Calm movement is the first step. It's the most important step he spent five hours he said at a quarter mile he he'd do his back and forth passes like a border collie but from big distance and just slowly working closer every time he went back and forth perpendicular to where he wanted the herd to go he said at a quarter mile he'd take one step closer and a big old bull would pick his head up and start snorting and he'd take one step back and that bull would put his head back down and go to grazing. He spent five hours approaching this herd, getting movement started. 17 hours later, he walked them right across that river, right up into the village, and right up into the corral, and they stood there calm and quiet. And he had video of working reindeer the first time I ran into him in 1989 at a holistic management annual general meeting. And Don Halliday and I at the time were the ones that uh, invited him up into Canada and uh, did a tour of six ranches. And then subsequently he got uh, a job at VT Feeders in uh, Lloyd Minster and he spent six years then there and he started doing his schools there. He and Temple Grandin through the 90s and into the 2000s were sort of the leading uh, pioneers in uh, in livestock handling and Bud's no longer with us at the time but Bud and Eunice always traveled together I believe Eunice is still alive but there's if you search Bud Williams livestock handling or low stress livestock handling quite a bit of stuff will come up a uh, uh, young fellow that learned from him young at the time was Steve Cote and he's done a lot of work down in um, public lands in Idaho with using buds techniques to settle cattle and to get cattle off of riparian areas and actually have them placed up off the riparian habitat, because if you settle them properly up high in the higher elevations where Utilization will usually very poor because cattle left to their own devices typically will um, just spend time at the riparian water zones and only travel as far as they need to and end up overpressuring the riparian zones. And so Steve Cote, C-O-T-E, he has a really good book on um, on herding.
1: That's perfect. Thank you, Dylan. I do want to be cognizant of your guys's times. Thank you guys both for being here. This has been fantastic, and I know that you guys both often have a lot going on. So if you want to talk a little bit about some of your courses and stuff you have, I know I'm reading David Irvine's book right now, and it's really good so far. Um, so if you want to talk about any books or anything, and just take a couple minutes and, and talk about some of the stuff you guys have going on, that'd be awesome.
4: I'll just say thank you, Amber. I would just say I just would love to hear from you. I, I feel like a farmer here. We threw out a bunch of seeds tonight. I have no idea if they're going to take root or not. So I'd love to get some feedback from you. I'd love to hear from you. I've put my email address and contact information in the chat room. But basically, you can get me at uh, on my website. It's davidirvine.com. And that's spelled just like Irvine, California. So davidirvine.com. And if you're interested, I offer, if you want to go deeper with this material, I offer a three-day uh, online program, a virtual program. And next one coming up is in April. And you can find that on my website at davidirvine.com. And I'd love to have you join join me. And we'll give you a discount if you bring more than a couple of people. So we'll give you a good, good discount. So just reach out to me and to our team. And if I can, be, if I triggered something, if you're curious about something, I would just love to hear from you. I also put a link in here on our website of where you can find my books. So uh, would be happy to hear from you. And thank you very much, uh, Amber, again, and Steve, for the privilege of coming in and spending a little time with you.
3: Indeed. Very good. Yes. Thank you, uh, Steve and Amber. That's, that's awesome. Where did the time go? Are you kidding? <laughs> we just got started (laughs) at any rate. Thank you, David. Great to um, present with you again, as always. Myself, I'm not much of a marketer of, you know, I'm not trying to make my livelihood from uh, teaching uh, or doing clinics, but I've done lots of clinics over the years. If people have questions or want to reach me or they're interested in some of my cattle handling videos i have shared a lot of videos on my instagram it's tk underscore ranch i believe and i have a lot of dog videos there i use dogs a lot and i do a lot of uh i shouldn't say a lot it all depends on the years but um i've done a lot of two-day livestock handling clinics over the years uh, and those are my favorite clinics to do where we spend probably 16 hours actually in ki- in the pasture and or in handling facilities. And we spend about four hours in a classroom setting because those are good because a lot of this stuff, it needs to be seen and it needs to be experienced. And it's a hands on thing. It's one thing to intellectually understand a concept. It's totally different to be able to actually apply it. Out in the pasture with live animals, and so those clinics I basically let them arise organically. It sounds like there's going to be interest in doing some clinics up north this summer with Peace Country and and possibly NorPara. Other than that, uh, my email address. If people have any questions or comments or any interest is uh, D-Y-L-A-N dot B-I-G-G-S at tkranch.com. dot com. And you can also reach me through our uh, online meat program store is tkranch.com. dot com. But at any rate, and I have articles, I've been writing articles in every issue of the Canadian Cowboy magazine now for, I think, two years. So I have a column in there. And those are focused on herding as well. But at any rate, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, I, w- I want to hang around and, and hear what people have to say. I'm, I'm going to hang around. So thank you again, everybody. Thank you for your interest. And thank you for your questions.
2: Steve, you have anything to add there?
0: Yeah, you bet. I uh, really appreciate you guys coming on tonight. I'm going to share a quick little story just to finish this off. Talking about uh, Bud. When he was working at VT Feedlot, like you were saying there, Dylan, uh, I was going to college at Lakeland in Vermilion. And I had the opportunity to go work with him for a weekend. We were planning to go over there and spend the whole weekend working with Bud Williams and this, you know, what an awesome opportunity. But a young, foolish lad that I was, I went to the rodeo instead and got bucked off of two bulls. And that is something I regret to this day immensely because you know he's not even around anymore I can't go to it anymore so don't miss your opportunity to to learn from some of these uh, experts don't make the same mistake I did Uh, if you have any you know any chance to go to any of these courses you know David's or Dylan's or anybody else's uh, take the opportunity never stop learning go and, and see somebody new even if you know something about a topic and you're following one direction right? Go to somebody else's that is going in a different direction to see the the difference in it, right? And maybe you'll get one tidbit out of that. Maybe you don't agree with what they're talking about, but still take the time and and go try and learn something from every every opportunity you can. That would be my best advice, I guess. So again, uh, thank you very much to you guys. This was awesome. We will now kick into after networking networking. Thank you to the Gateway Research Organization. Thank you to Food, Water, Wellness for being a part of this and uh, really appreciate it.